You are listening to Pastor John Castile's message, False Prophets Discipleship, as part of the Grace Chapel Special Studies, recorded on January 3rd, 1977. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, approaching your throne, asking, O God, that you'd give us wisdom, give us understanding, open our hearts and our minds. Lord, let there be a spirit of wisdom and revelation on us that we can understand, Father. Open your word to us. Give us insight in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. Amen. <clears throat> you may be seated. Let me get closer to you. They got my, the wilds too. Uh, the wilds too wide. The aisles too wide. I'll get down there in the middle. I want to study tonight. I don't. I think we'll be able to get through with it. But it's a study that we could, we'll probably have a lot of discussion on, and uh, or at least it'll be quite a thought starter to us. And uh, we're starting ten minutes late, so I don't know whether I should hang this thing someplace. I've got four pages of notes. I don't think I'll use them all, but uh, I might. I'd like to study about false prophets and uh, something that we need to understand and know today is how to discern false prophets and how to, how to uh, and the awareness that there really is such a thing as false prophets today. Are you all aware of that? First <clears throat> John chapter 4 verse 1 we're commanded of the Apostle John not to believe every spirit this is an amazing thing, this verse. I don't fully understand it, but he doesn't say don't believe every person. He says don't believe every spirit. But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. And it, and he's, it seems to insinuate that a man speaks by a spirit. Now, it... I want you to understand that the word spirit, small, doesn't, small s, doesn't always mean devil. There is the spirit of man. Uh, there are angelic beings. There, uh, and then there are evil spirits as well, and the spirit of God. So we'd kind of class spirits in three realms. That's godly spirits, human spirit, evil spirit. But sometimes there are intense human spirits, very, very strong human spirits. I believe that this is something that we're, we'll learn about uh, sometime in the future. <clears throat> Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Notice that's a capital S. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. I'd like you to notice in the context that these spirits, or these people that speak, the context there is false prophets, speak of the world. The world hears, the world understands. He says, year of God, therefore the world doesn't hear us. Uh, 
There are several interpretations of verse 2 here. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Some people interpret that and some translations say have, has come in the flesh or did come. And there are a few, and, and I tend to agree with this school, that says that Jesus is in the perfect tense in the flesh now. Jesus Christ has come in us. And literally, every, almost every false doctrine is known by this. There are a lot of doctrines that believe. Oh, uh, Hindus believe that Jesus came in the flesh. Uh, they, the Mohammedans believe that Jesus came in, in the flesh. But those people don't believe that Jesus is come in his body, in his church. He is here today. They, you see, for a spirit to admit that Jesus is in me admits his own defeat doesn't he? Because then he knows he has to come out, kind of thing, if the Lord is in us. Anyway, this is kind of an idea. It's conjecture. It isn't tied down. It isn't clear. But a lot of times the scripture uses that present perfect tense of is, uh, like uh, he that believeth hath everlasting life. Not will have, not had, but hath. It's an ever, it's a present perfect word. And he uses, yes, Ralph. That's right. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So what I'm saying is that I believe that we can know the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit of God, according to John 16, uplifts Jesus. It will take of mine and show it to thee. Speaks of Jesus. The Spirit of the man speaks of man and the world. And so we need, we cannot believe every spirit. Messages have a spiritual direction behind them. And so we are commanded not to believe, not every message, but every spirit. Uh, a wrong spirit saying a good message uh, was always told to shut up by Jesus. We know who they are, the Christ of God. Shut up. Be quiet. Come out of it. And uh, I think that a lot of times by trying to examine messages rather than examine the Spirit. Uh, Christians have been deceived by, if you'll notice, most of the false doctrines are enough true to string you along for a while until they can get that Spirit, that whatever it is, contention or hatred or whatever that attitude that they're bringing in to you. This was one of the problems with the children of God, is that the children of God had so many good things to say, but all the time the attitude was hate, put down. And uh, so uh, a Christian who was sensitive to the Spirit immediately caught the Spirit and didn't have to listen to the message. But those who were trying to analyze whether their message was in the Word or not were taken up in it, many of them, because they lacked spiritual uh, discernment. <clears throat> Is there any question on that? I just wanted to go on. I didn't want to uh, leave it there. Acts 20, verse 28, we find a, a, an amazing verse of the Apostle Paul. And he was on his way to Jerusalem, and on his way through, he called the elders of the church at Ephesus to meet him on the way. And he had founded the church at Ephesus, 
and had gone back and confirmed it. And so he called them. Verse 17, And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come, he said to them, You know from the first day, and so forth. And he goes on until he gets down to verse 28. He says, we'll start in verse 27. I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves, of the elders of Ephesus, of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. So Paul warned that in the church of the eldership of Ephesus, after his decease or departing, when he was no longer there to exert that strength over the church, some of the very leaders of the church would bring in perverse teachings to draw away people. Notice the word draw away. To draw away disciples after themselves. And here's one of the clues of someone who is uh, perverting the truth. is They usually always draw people away from the body. Draw them away. And you'll find that constantly in the scripture. Well, there are three messages to the seven churches in Revelations, two and three, these seven letters to the churches, that contain exhortations from the Lord Jesus to those in false doctrine. If you'll notice that in the seven churches that were outstanding churches, the seven lampstand churches of, of Revelations that John received messages for in dreams, the first one we find in false doctrine is uh, we find it in verse 14 of chapter 2. <clears throat> and he's talking to the church. Which one is this? This is the uh, Pergamos. And he says in verse 14, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. I wonder if they called it the doctrine of Balaam in the church. I don't think so. I think that the Lord was impressing upon them this is nothing new that's going on. This happened a long time ago and it's happened over and over again and he called it the doctrine of Balaam. And the story there was how that when Balaam was offered money to prophesy against Israel, he, you remember the dumb, the, 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 uh, James says the dumbass spoke and reproved him. He went on and prophesied in the Spirit. But what most people don't realize, because they don't read the histories close enough, is that after he prophesied, he explained to the king how that he could destroy Israel. He says the way you can destroy Israel is by, you see them, they're pure and they're holy and they're walking with God, and the Lord is their God. And he has these strong promises that I prophesied, but he will back up on his word and not fulfill it to them if, you contaminate them with your gods. So he says, this is how to do it. He says, they have been wandering in the desert for a lot of years. And they haven't seen good-looking girls. 
You just take your daughters over and you do some nice dances for these men and have the, the daughters take their gods with them, their amulets. And that's exactly what Balak did. Balak sent the women out there and invited the Jewish girls over and they had an interchange, a cultural interchange. And I believe it was 14,000 or 24,000 died of Israel that day. That day. And this was the doctrine of Balaam. Sneaky compromise. Okay, and that was in the church at Pergamos. And Jesus said he was against it. Then in uh, the church at Theatira, we find... Uh, verse 20, Notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now here was a teaching that was saying that uh, sexual promiscuity was really not bad, you know. Uh, there have been, in charismatic circles, uh, People who've got onto the agape love thing so much, they use that doctrine of agape, they call it agape love. You know, all of these doctrines have beautiful names. And they talk so much about agape love that they feel that once you have the agape love that any relationship is okay. And uh, this was going on in this congregation. And it was, I, it was probably physical, but it was as well spiritual. And uh, they taught them that it was okay also to eat things that were sacrificed to idols. It was just all right. Go ahead and do it. Go into, you know, uh, you hear it all the time. I've heard it here in the church where kids say, look, how can I be a witness if I stay out of the bars? You know, I go in there and I sit at a table and I have a drink and uh, I witness. Come on, almost every one of you have heard of it. And it's happened. Well, this was the same type of thing. You know, they have all of these uh, idolatry things, and they say, well, the devil is nothing, and the meat's just pure meat, and the wine is just pure wine, and we're going in there, and we're, we're winning these people for Jesus. And Jesus said, this was him speaking to John, that he hated this. He hated it. And he called her Jezebel. I don't think that was her real name. But I think that he called her Jezebel because he's speaking spiritually, just like the doctrine of Balaam, He's calling her Jezebel because she acted the same. She was a woman that was in authority, who was taking authority. Jezebel was the king's wife, King Ahab. Isn't this right? King Ahab's wife. And she governed Israel by uh, pressing and trying to influence by her beauty and by her mannerism the king. And she did. She made the king a pawn in her hands. And this was what was going on in this church. She was not probably the official leader of the church, but she was exerting all kinds of undue influence, and the Lord called her Jezebel. And he said he didn't like it. And he told her, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her, verse 22, into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And he was dealing with the church. And then the third one, he doesn't call it any doctrine. It's just the Laodicean church that we see so... Uh, this was... Uh, those who would not admit anything was wrong. Okay, We're fine, we're good, everything's fine, we don't need anything. We're rich, we're great. Now you can carry positive confession too far. 
And that is that when the Lord says there's sin in your life, there is sin in your life. <laughs> no matter what you say about it. And when the Holy Spirit says repent, you repent. That's just the way it is. You can't take your positive confession so far that you deny that your life is in need of God. And here, I don't know that that's what they've gotten into, but it sounds like it, because thou sayest, I am rich, increased, I am this, I am that, I am the other thing, and knowest not. And I think that, uh, that, again, this is a doctrinal thing, something they said, something they did not own up to, the truth of their experience in God. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6 through 9, we find that many of Paul's, in fact, almost all of Paul's epistles were written because of false doctrine in the church. Almost every one of them. <clears throat> and uh, Peter, James, John, they all wrote letters. Almost all of the letters were written to correct something or to encourage somebody to stand strong in correct teaching. In Galatians 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul says these words. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, it's hard to imagine that, some, that there would be somebody who would want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But that was then. I wonder if things have changed any. There are those today who pervert the gospel of Christ. Pervert means they... They send it aside. They dirty it. Okay? Uh, he says, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And that word accursed means cut off from the Lord. Paul was dealing in a serious matter here. He didn't say go pamper him and straighten him out. He says let him be cut off. Somebody comes preaching another message. Let him be cut off. And that's pretty heavy. That's just about as heavy a thing as you can say. And yet Paul, speaking by the Spirit of God, said this about those who would pervert the truth in, Revelation, in Galatians. And the Galatians were being sent back into bondage to orders and ordinances rather than walking in the full freedom of the power of the Spirit. And look how Paul treated it. He didn't treat it as if it were something just to forget or just to put up with. He stood against that strongly. And for some of you who don't understand that, there are some people even today who teach that unless you do certain things, you're not going to be saved. That your salvation is a works thing. And this was the problem at Galatians. They were teaching that you had to be circumcised. You had to keep the seventh day. You had to not eat certain foods. And that teaching goes on today. In one form or another, there's nothing new under the sun. The, the preacher has said in uh, uh, of, pardon me, Ecclesiastes. And so all of these things keep happening again. They just put on a few new trappings, a few new names. It's the same old thing. And here Paul stood against it. And he says no. And he goes on to say that he did not frustrate the grace of God. That we have our works because of the, of the power of the Lord within us. And they show what's in us. But we can't work to get it. We work because of it. And there's a big difference. And yet a lot of people that don't understand this begin to teach what you should do and what you should do, and that you can't do that and be a Christian. 
And that isn't it at all. It's receiving the Lord Jesus, there comes a change. Holiness comes from the Holy Spirit, not from man's spirit. And uh, the legalistic teaching would teach us that, that uh, to get the Holy Spirit, we must become holy. No, the Holy Spirit brings holiness. And our place is to cooperate with the holiness of God, not to try to become holy in ourselves. Romans 10.1 says, uh, speaking of, of Israel, he says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of the righteousness which is of God, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness which is of God. See, they want to do their own righteousness, want to assert their own justification, rather than submit as sinners and receive the righteousness of God. And this is the whole trip of, of legalism uh, as per the grace of God. And Paul said that those would, they would trouble you. And they did trouble the churches of Galatia. And this was a whole state or a whole province. There were several churches here. And they had this problem of brethren who came in after Paul's visits of preaching the gospel and establishing the churches and tried to, well, we call it Judaize, or they tried to bring in the Mosaic law as a means of salvation to the churches. And Paul withstood them to the very face. In 1 Corinthians 15, the whole chapter on resurrection, this whole chapter on resurrection was written because verse 12 states that there's some among you that say there is no resurrection of the dead. So Paul had to write back to the Corinthian church because there were those in the church that were saying there is no resurrection. The resurrection is past. And so the whole chapter, thank God, <laughs> I thank the Lord they had that problem because that chapter 15 is the most powerful chapter on resurrection that we have in the scripture almost. It just explains how they come and how that we don't have that same body, but as a seed is planted and it becomes a plant, even so we are planted in the ground and God gives it a body as it pleases him. And this corruptible must put on incorruption. Then shall we brought to pass that saying that death is swallowed up in victory. All of these things were written because some of the people in the church were teaching the resurrection is past. Well, Jesus, uh, pardon me, that's 1 Corinthians 15 and in 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18, there are those in... Timothy's uh, in Ephesus that taught that the resurrection is past already. Now, one of the doctrines, Jehovah's Witness doctrine, teaches that the resurrection is past. I should say that Jesus' return is past, that he came in 1914. And these things happen all the time. Uh, there was just a recent doctrine going around called the glorified body, where people reached a, a state of a resurrected body, they said. The problem is that they died. God has a way of just letting people talk and then, you know, proving them wrong. In Matthew 24 and verse 11, Jesus said, Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And he said this was a sign of the last time. To turn over to Matthew 24, we'll read two more verses there. <clears throat> And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. I'd like you to notice their theme in verse 24 through 26. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. Now I want you to see that some of, the, of those who come along with mighty miracle ministries 
according to the scripture, there will be those with miraculous ministries showing mighty signs who are false prophets. That's what the word says. But notice what their message, a, lot, a sign of some of their message. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. And so here again, it seems that there would be a lot of false doctrine around the coming of the Lord. Some people would say, Did you know Jesus came? He's out in the desert. Jesus said, Don't go. <laughs> or he had a secret coming. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses have said. A secret coming. Jesus said, don't worry about it. He said, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west, so shall also the coming of, man of, son of, coming of the Son of Man be. Like when lightning strikes over there and you don't just see it for ten feet, you know, it blazes up the sky, so shall the coming of the Lord be. When he comes, I think that we'll know it. Hallelujah. I intend to be in on it anyway. There's one sure way to know a false prophet, and that's by his message. But this is not always easy. In Matthew 7, verse 15 through 23, Jesus uh, talks quite a lot. And this is in the initial, the beginning teaching to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, beware of false prophets. And the word beware means be careful about this. And so I think that we ought to be careful about false prophets. He said, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now what does this mean? It means they have all the trappings of godliness, but inwardly they are, they are uh, well, ra ravenous means that they're very hungry, they're seeking to devour, they're vicious. They are ravening wolves. And uh, sometimes when you get to know people, they aren't what they seem to be. I know all of us are not exactly what we seem to be because from our youth we have always been taught to put our best foot forward when we're meeting people. And uh, sometimes they see us when our back foot is forward and they're not happy. But I, I don't mean that. I mean that some people have learned to put on a guise, a cloak of religiosity, if that's a word, uh, a re religious piety, piety, and they uh, uh, seem to be very, very together, but inwardly there's something else. And uh, notice what he said about them. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Whereby, wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, Depart from me, ye that work in iniquity. I want you to notice, he didn't say, I knew you once, and now don't know you anymore. But he said, I never knew you. Even though they said the right things, even though they uh, maybe were around, uh, saved people enough to know how to act and the right words to say, 
He said, depart from me, and the key was, ye workers of iniquity. Because you see, an iniquitous spirit produces iniquity. A born-again spirit produces righteousness. Yes. Most of the time they try to get you on the fact that you say, well, the Lord heals or does this, and they say, well, then you're this. But that isn't what he said at all. Because he said, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they do these works. But there were, would be those who had entered into an area of supernatural power. And it almost seems that they themselves are deceived because they say to the Lord at that day, Lord, didn't we do this? And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Be workers of iniquity. They themselves are deceived. Yes, sir. Okay, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Well, let's get into that in a minute, okay? That's where I'm headed. The key here that the Lord points out is iniquity. Iniquity, okay? Sinning. No matter how powerful a man's ministry may be, if that man is bound in sin, his fruit is sinful. No matter if he says the right words. God will honor his word. He does not honor people. And so therefore, many times, uh, people who act like evangelists, we have like Marjo, who has, has spoken of the times that that he preached, Marjo, what's his name, uh, last name? Gortner, who uh, held many revival services in churches. You see, and uh, people got saved and people got healed under his ministry. But he just knew the right things to say. And God honored his word. Marjo doesn't understand that. God, when, for example, if, if you believe the word of God, even if I speak it, and I'm not a Christian, but you believe it, God will honor his word in your faith. There's an amazing thing about prophecy. If you'll remember, the high priest prophesied while he was plotting to kill Jesus. All right? He prophesied saying it was need that one should die and not all the people. And this he said because he was high priest. So God honored the office that he had at that time, being high priest, and went right around the man. And he caused that spirit of prophecy to come on him, even though that man and the whole group of them were in a totally wrong thing. So uh, what I'm saying here is that there is a problem that we are not aware of and we don't know how to beware of people in the ministry. Sometimes, uh, today especially, and I want you to hear this and I want you to weigh it in your mind, today the ministry can be like show business. 
there are many people who get caught up in gospel show business. And they lose out with God. And uh, we don't have to make a judgment on whether these people are or not false prophets. What we have to do is beware. He did not say judge and figure out who's a false prophet. He said beware of them. Be wary. That means be observant. Be careful. Be cautious. Uh, I receive things prophesied all the time to me. Tonight I went to my office and I found a card printed with prophecies. Well, one of the first things I do is I look for a name. And if there's not a name on it, I many times don't even read it. Because who says it is very important to me. Okay? Who says what is very important? I need to know the life before I can hear the words. Does that make sense to you, what I'm saying, Ralph? That's right. Well, I'm not even getting through one page yet. Uh, here's a very interesting state. Jeremiah chapters 26, 27, and 28, the three chapters, are very interesting chapters. Because Jeremiah receives a word from God, and he's told to go and put yokes on his neck like animal yokes, and to go and stand in the temple and to teach all the people that are coming in from out of town. See, Judah was a state now. It was a kingdom. And uh, the, the capital was Jerusalem, and in it was the temple. And in the temple, <coughs> there were uh, certain rites that you had to do. Every, uh, every man-child needed to be circumcised. Every... Uh, uh, there were things you had to do at the temple. In other words, and so people would come from all over Judah and uh, the most righteous, influential people of the state would come there. And so Jeremiah was told by the Lord to put a yoke on his neck and go down and say, Nebuchadnezzar is going to put a, a yoke on your neck because you're in sin. So don't fight him. Don't fight him. It's, it's done. There's no way out of it now. Don't fight him or you'll lose your life. There was another prophet and priest. In fact, there was almost all of them. It seemed like Jeremiah was the only one that was prophesying repentance. And the rest of them were prophesying, it's okay, this isn't going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar had already come in and taken the vessels away. Nebuchadnezzar had already come in and taken the king and they'd had to they'd put in another king. He'd come in and taken the nobles away. And those that remained were not teaching the people to repent and pray and fast and humble themselves before God. And so Jeremiah came in and he said, don't think that you're going to get those things back. Well, one of the prophets and all of the priests, the first time they came and they said, this man's going to die. This man needs to die because he's prophesying against everything we're saying. And uh, the people came and rescued him. Chapter 26, the people rescued him and said, don't kill him because this has happened before and, and the people repented and God didn't do what he was going to do <coughs> by the hand of Micah. And then he said, next time he came in and he was prophesying this, one of the prophets, I think it's Hananiah, came in and he broke the yoke off of uh, Jeremiah's neck 
And he said, Thus saith the Lord. He says, Within two years, all of this will be over and Nebuchadnezzar will be gone and Israel will be free and your nobles will come back and your king will come back and the holy vessels will come back. So here were two prophets in the temple saying opposite things. And Jeremiah said, you're speaking by the devil. This man said, you're speaking by the devil. So Jeremiah said, okay, the Lord says, he whose prophecies come to pass, he's of the Lord. And so he went out. He said, do what, what seems right to you. He went out. The yoke was broken off his neck and the Spirit of the Lord came on him and he went back to the temple and he said to Hananiah, or to this prophet, he says, within a year you're going to die because you've spoken, not by the hand of the Lord and you've caused Israel to err. And the man died in seven months. But you see, there are times of national disorder when opposing prophecies can come. But notice what one prophecy said. It was almost like the church of uh, Laodicea. We're okay. Don't worry about it. We're all right. Don't humble yourself. Don't fast. Don't pray. Okay? And the other one said, repent. Okay? Repent. Turn away. And naturally, it would have been nicer to, to accept the prophecy that said everything's all right, everything's rosy, just go your way. And uh, I think that you can... By, by looking at the false doctrines that are, that are listed in the New Testament and that are mentioned, you can almost spot everything that comes up. Not the exact message, but the spirit of it. The spirit of it. The, the lethargy. The, the don't worry. The, you know. Now, here's some, here's some very interesting thing. Some of the tricks of the enemy <clears throat> that I can see in this day, they're not really new at all. First of all, uh, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, we find the story of Paul rebuking Peter. How many of you remember that story of Paul rebuking Peter? Do you know why he rebuked him? It's a word It's called dissemble. Now, what did that mean? Peter came down from Jerusalem, and there were in the, church, uh, in the churches of the Galatians, uh, they had received the grace of God, and Jewish Christians... And Gentile Christians were eating and fellowshipping together. But when some... You see, the Jewish custom was not to have anything to do with Gentiles. They called the Gentiles unclean. But when some came down from Jerusalem, some of the brethren that held the other custom that were influential, the Jewish Christians quit having fellowship around food and close fellowship with all the Gentiles to make these brethren from, Is from Jerusalem happy. And Peter also dissembled now, the word dissemble is opposite of assemble. That means he would not assemble with them. He would not come in a meeting. Let's say that uh, the Jewish Christians in our congregation would refuse to eat or have close fellowship with us because they were Jewish. In other words, separating from the church. Now, one of the trickiest things that Satan always tries to do is get special groups in the church. Special, super spiritual ones. And it's interesting to note that the people that preach it are always in the special group. Always. And uh, I believe that every time 
that people begin to revel in the lack of spirituality of everybody else and revel in the doom of somebody, everybody else. Something's wrong. Okay? And the pulling ourselves away, the dissembling. And almost every time you'll find always on a church that is moving in God, there is a group around the edges that are coming to service, watching very critically, and pulling people to special Bible studies and meetings, pulling people out of the fellowship. It's happened since the day we started Grace Chapel. And every church I know has had the same thing, dissembling. Special, super spiritual ones. And sometimes I've heard it right in the church. People have a revelation that you're one of those special ones. Boy, I tell you, I've had them come to me. I've had people come to me and say, John, we've received a revelation from God. You're one of those special ones. And man, as soon as that happens, dissembling. Paul rebuked Peter for it. doesn't matter how powerful and how important you are. The body is one. And there is no, we say it in Spanish, disavenencia in the body. There's no schism in the body. There's no super important people in the body of Jesus. We all have an, an, uh, an equality in the Lord. Now there are uh, special discipleship programs, but those discipleship programs are given to send people right back in the body and to fellowship and bring the body in. It's not a pulling ourselves away to get special truth because nobody else can understand these things. And we are the elite. And yet that happens constantly. How many of you, just as a question, how many of you have been uh, approached in the services sometimes around Grace Chapel to go to a special meeting of special people? Can I see your hand? One, two, three, four, five. Okay. This happens all, it, but it isn't a new thing. Don't think it's a new thing. And it's nothing that you can judge outwardly because it's never known by the pastors or the elders. We just hear about it. We know it. But these things are never brought to the attention or never uh, brought into submission. And so here's one of the tricks, and that is dissembling. Be careful for it. The second is money. One of the ways to know a false prophet is usually they talk about money most of the time. Now, uh, that's a real touchy one because there are some fantastic men of God that talk about money all the time because they're under pressure. And I want to get into the difference between a man who is uh, into some wrong things, who is not a false prophet, but a false prophet. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if the mouth talks money most of the time, that's what's on the heart. That's easy, isn't it? So, the scripture says in 2 Peter 2.3, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. People become so much money. And uh, some of you that have been around gospel show business know that it's kind of a feather in your crowd if there were a thousand people there or twelve hundred people or fifteen hundred because... Uh, there are many churches that can tell you exactly how much offering they'll receive by the amount of people. It's amazing how much, and in the denominational churches in the world, many of the O-line churches go after members to get a commitment, a financial commitment. Never visit those people again once they have that financial commitment. And that's what the scripture says. It says, with feigned words will they make merchandise of you. 
And so I think that we need to be careful about that sign. Uh, the gospel is so wonderful, it's simple, it's just like Jesus. And I think the gospel, being his message, should represent him. I think that there is a, a teaching of stewardship. The principles of God are laid down about finances. Jesus talked a lot about finances, but it was never to profit himself. It was never to build himself. And you'll find that most godly men can raise money for missions, can raise money for the use of the kingdom, but have a very difficult time ever mentioning their own need. No. Because they understand that it just isn't their nature to promote themselves. Uh, let's look at some scriptures here. Uh, just a couple. 2 Corinthians 11.13 For such are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Not according to what they say, but according to what they do. So he speaks about here that some of the things that happen. I want you to notice that he has said that Satan transforms himself into an angel of light. Now, I want you to be very careful in some of the religious history that you read where people have received an angel of light or a, a, an apparition. The Catholic Church is full of apparitions. But whenever that apparition, that means an appearance of a divine person, whenever that person takes away or leads us away from Jesus, we know that is not of God. We know that. Though we, though, or an angel of God, or any such person, speak any other message than that which you have received, let him be accursed, Paul said. So he told us that these things would happen. And many, many, many people uh, uh, have uh, traditions and whole lives based on an apparition. But if there's an amazing thing about the true apparitions of God in the scripture. And that's it. Every time people bit the dust. Every time they fell on their faces and they repented and they recognized their sin. But in some of these others that you hear, no. There was no repentance. There was nothing. There was an exaltation of the person to whom they received. But you find when the Lord or an angel, uh, even an angel appeared to them, they thought they were going to die. Because of the powerful presence of the Lord that revealed the sinfulness of man. Even John, who had walked with Jesus and been filled with the Spirit for years, fell as one dead at the presence of the Lord when he revealed himself to him. Okay, here are some danger areas that I'd like to share with you. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.3. <clears throat> uh, this is the problem of false prophets and being misguided. There are people who are misguided who are not false prophets. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I besought thee, to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. In other words, he says, tell these people not to teach these things. He didn't say they were false prophets and put them out, but he said, charge them not to teach some things. Just straighten up their teaching. Number one, neither give heed to fables, stories. I'm amazed at how Christians listen and talk about rumors. You remember when Nikita Khrushchev was saved? 
Okay, now it may have been. But why, when there is no certainty to this sort of a thing, would it just go through the church like it did? Christians like to hear something exciting and new, so he says don't give heed to fables. And a fable is something that is said that is without positive foundation. Okay, so that's one of the things we need to watch. Endless genealogies. Okay, genealogies. There's the Mormon churches involved in genealogies. Oh, I mean to tell you, right? To try to trace down our race to find out if we're chosen. Which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith. So do. Okay, neither give heed to fables or genealogies. And here's the problem. Things that minister questions rather than faith. And some people are expert in conjecture rather than the simplicity of godly faith, of lifting people to believe what is, what is solid. And then he goes on, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some having swerved have turned aside. And here's the word. They were on the right track, but they swerved out of track and turned aside unto vain jangling. That means they're preaching and they're talking and they're teaching, but it's just a lot of noise. It's no longer profitable. And he goes on to say, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So there are those who desire to be teachers and want to be teachers so bad that they'll teach anything even if they don't understand it. And we've all heard and seen this. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I think that's an essential there are some people who pull doctrines out of the prophets that are not in accordance with Jesus' teachings. Now, it doesn't mean that the prophets are not inspired, but they must. Jesus is kind of the, the, the tie together of everything that is true, I believe. And so Paul warned, and not according to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now, here again is a key. Godliness. Godliness. People that preach permissiveness, people that preach, uh, for example, eternal security to the place where you just go do what you want because you're going to be saved anyway, that's right out of the pit. It just isn't true. Because he that is born again is changed. And he that has received the grace of God is going to walk close to Jesus. Because the grace of God liberates you from sin. Okay? Even though we have a security in Jesus and the grace of God has given us an eternal salvation, those who preach, therefore, and make a human reasoning out of that truth, and that is not according to godliness, Paul says don't listen to it. Straighten them up. He said, here's what he is. He said he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envies, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Okay, now here's another one. This gain is godliness. Some people today preach that to really walk with God, you've got to be prosperous financially. 
Otherwise, there's something wrong with your spirit. Okay? Now, you've heard this. And the Bible says, watch it. Watch that one. Okay? Because some, in uh, Hebrews 11, obtained kingdoms, stopped the mouth of lions, uh, quenched violence, uh, were mighty in battle, but others were destitute and lived in caves and lived in goat skins died. <laughs> and he says, these all, having obtained a good report through faith. And so, for what, what God may have this brother do, may not be what God has this brother do. See? So what we need to do is be careful of blanket uh, callings, blanket uh, stratas. It's because of this kind of a teaching that we have the high-up church and the middle-class church and the low-class church in America. Because people start feeling more comfortable if everybody's alike. It'd be like making a body out of 500 knees. You know, you can't do that. A body has to be different to be a body. Okay, 2 Timothy 2.14. Uh, These things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Now notice, both of these in Timothy, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, have spoken about straining at words. Straining at words. Now, we have to go into word studies a lot because of the language change. But there are a lot of people who will take a word and expand that meaning just right out of its meaning and strain at words. So be careful of this. Okay? If your whole theory is based on a word, uh, you're on really light, uh, difficult ground. So he says to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. That's empty talking. For they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker or gangrene. Empty talk, conjecturizing, all this type of thing, building great big sand castles on words will subvert the hearers, bring confusion. And he says, don't do it. Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying, and these things will I, I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. And this word is honest trades. These things are good and profitable unto men, but avoid foolish questions. How many times do Christians get around and discuss a foolish question? You know? Of, we can even get uh, uh, involved in theories and, and things. And he says, genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain or empty. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. Okay, now what I wanted to, to share with this is that there are people who are not false prophets, but they are <coughs> swerving from the truth by getting into some things. And what I believe that uh, is our main thing that the Lord has told us to do is to be careful. He did not tell us to make up a judgment. Is this man a prophet? Or is he a false prophet? Or is he something? That's really not our judgment. That's God's judgment, I believe. And there are times when this judgment is given to the elders of a church to make a judgment. But that 
we don't have any power to judge. Our judgment is simply a discernment, a discerning of whether this is right or wrong. But what we need to be careful of is the spirit. He says, try the spirits. If a person talks about the love of Jesus but comes in with something else, you know, and you sense there is a, a confusion about what is said, or uh, uh, he's talking about love but all the time there's a grain underneath it. Uh, they're talking about peace but all the time it, it's in a, a raucous manner, then I think we need to be careful of the spirit of it more than the message and just be careful. And I believe that Paul said to Timothy, he says, knowing of whom thou hast heard these things, there is a personal relationship and safety within a body of believers of doctrine and teaching. That I believe it's just like a family. A father and a mother have a special responsibility over their children. And the eldership of the church has a special responsibility in doctrine of maintaining purity of doctrine and doing judgment. But just like in a family, all the judgment doesn't go on in the open. A child may do something and be corrected later. Okay, so the rest of the family doesn't have to get in on it. But you can be sure it goes on. And I believe that God has given the protection within a body. Uh, and if you don't think that the elders are subject to judgment, you're mistaken because almost every member in the congregation deals with the elders at one time or another and corrects them and suggests to them <laughs> and talks to them and brings it out and then it's questioned and prayed about. But I believe that there is a, a problem from uh, people we don't know. We should be very careful at what we listen to. We should be aware. Is that a, do you understand what I mean by being aware? Being careful of the things that you hear. For many false prophets are gone out into the world and uh, we should always look at the direction of their teaching. What are they doing? I don't have uh, much time for a lot of the great things that go on in the city of Tucson once I find out their goal and their aim. For example, we've had some mighty men of God come into this town to preach. But when I find out that their purpose is to raise money, then I'm not all that interested in going. Because I know that the blessing that comes from something is a side benefit. I would rather see the money be a side benefit. That's what I'd rather see. And uh, we, don't, we haven't had a lot of the great names, musicians and so forth. In fact, we don't have musicians that come to this church that say they want so much money. If they come and say, we, we need $1,500 or $2,000, they don't come. If they're willing to come and trust God with us, then we bring them in. And that's why some of the great people haven't come. Not because they're false prophets, because I don't believe that the church should honor that attitude. You see what I'm saying? I don't believe it should honor it. And uh, we deal with these things all the time, and it's, it's a blessing that the church doesn't have to get into it. Our place is not to make a judgment of that person, but our place is to make a judgment of that issue and say, no, we won't cooperate with this. Next week, I didn't get finished. Next week, I'd like to talk and explain to you what the Old Testament says about false prophets, and we'll get into div divination and enchanters and witches and charmers and wizards and necromancy, things that are coming in the world, just to explain them, and uh, we'll carry this on a little bit, okay?